Yeah, so like I said, I'm going to try to be quick, so listen fast, because I talk fast sometimes. I literally, a lot of times, I'll, put, I'll write slow down every other line because I talk so fast a lot of times, but uh, some of you guys can listen faster than others, so I'll try to, try to keep it quick so the kids don't, uh, don't get too, too distracted. And by kids, I mean me. All right, so <laughs> uh, last week we talked about, I'm just going to quick recap about what we talked about because I kind of want to jump off of that, springboard off of that, onto what we're going to talk about this week. Um, uh, we, we talked about Jesus was in basically, uh, a, he was sitting down, he was invi- invited by Pharisees and, and, and experts in the law uh, to sit down and have a discussion, and Jesus was courteous enough to do that. He cared enough to answer their questions and meet with them. I always find that fascinating because we always give the Pharisees a bad rap, which for good reason most of the time, but at the same time, Jesus cared enough to meet with them. He, he didn't just shun them, he, although he did call them out on some things. He still sat down and talked to them. He met with Nick at night. Uh, Nicodemus, and he, he sat down with these Pharisees, and he was having a discussion, and, in the, and before they could really get in their discussion, this, this woman, this, this prostitute comes in there, this, this sinful woman comes in and lets her hair down, which was unacceptable, that was supposed to be for her husband, breaks her alabaster box full of perfume, that was the most expensive thing, most prized possession, which was also supposed to be for her husband, and just begins to wash Jesus' feet and weeps and wails. Now, you, you have to get that picture uh, in, in your head. It would be as though we're sitting here meeting, and someone came in and began to weep and wail loudly and very disruptive, um, and, and the whole atmosphere changes when that happens. So we have to get to that place and see exactly what's going on here. And I would say many of us might say, hey, calm down. You need to settle down here. We're trying to have a good discussion about God and about the law and about things that are going on. Um, but she was totally taken, taken away with the presence of Jesus, with just being near him. And, and touching him and seeing him, um, it was a person that she recognized, and it was real. Um, this is what we have to see when we, when we find ourselves in Christianity, not what we call churchianity or religion. We find ourselves, we have to see that we are in a relationship with the person of Jesus, which is God in the flesh, which is the Holy Spirit that we now carry. We have to see it um, when we talk about praying without ceasing. That's who we're praying with, making intercession with the Holy Spirit. Um, coming off of that, I'm going to talk about um, kind of why we go to church. Um, this is a, a question that always comes up throughout the years, even especially now that we haven't been meeting physically. It's always coming up in my head as a pastor, why do we meet? If we, if we carry the Holy Spirit, what's the point of us meeting? And so I'm always questioning that and, and wanting to make sure we know the direction that we're going, and we're not just going through the motions and creating some kind of machine that we're the, the church just to be the church because that's what we've always done, right? So what I, what I found out when I looked it up the majority, they did a poll on why people go to church, the opinions of the people in America, and so the majority of the people that they interviewed said the reason why they either go to church or would want to go to church is to feel, this is quote, feel closer to God. That's the consensus, okay? Um, we, know, we know different, but that seems pretty logical to, for the masses to say, okay, well, we need to go to church to feel closer to God. Um, and I think that says more about what we've, as the Big C Church, have been saying than the response of the people that are interviewed. Um, and so what we have to be very careful with is where we find ourselves now, uh, especially where personally I found myself the last few weeks missing this so much. Um, we can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to say. Just because this is not the place where you come to feel closer to God doesn't mean that this is not important. Does that make sense? These, things, these two ideas aren't mutually exclusive. They don't go in different directions. Meeting together 
once a week or whenever we decide to meet together is important. It doesn't mean that this is the only place that we experience God in our lives. It can't be because that's the wrong message if we're sending that out to people. That is not the gospel. Now, we've got to, we've got to find a few key words here in what people were saying. One of the main ones is feel, right? Want to feel closer to God. Now, there are times in worship when these guys are worshiping up here and Gabe hits the right beat and the words are just perfect and I feel close to God, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's true. I feel close to God. I hear the words, son, good father, and and through worship and thanksgiving, I feel very close to God when I'm here, no doubt. Now, does that mean when I leave here and I don't feel close to God that he's any further away from me? No, it does not. So both of these things are not good or bad in and of themselves. These are things we just need to recognize for what they are. Now, a good example I thought about um, as I was studying this was Tracy and I were in youth ministry for a long time. And in youth ministry, you, you talk to youth, young people, students, and as they get older, they get into relationships, right? I know, I'm not crazy about it either. We've got teenagers. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my favorite thing to talk about. But um, we had some youth uh, specifically that were about to graduate and go to college and wanted to meet with Tracy and I. Um, and one specifically was having issues with their parents, and they were, they were concerned that the decisions they were making for their future were based, were, were being heavily swayed by their relationship with their girlfriend's boyfriend. I'm not going to say who's who because I won't call any names. So their, their girlfriend slash boyfriend, whichever one it was, <laughs> am, ambiguity. So they met with us and spent 30 minutes telling us how their relationship was not affecting their decision to go to college and how their parents were wrong in telling them that they were, that that it was and that it wasn't, da, da, da. So at the end of this 30-minute spiel about, they were basically trying to explain to us as though we were accusing them of it. Um, and finally, at the end of it, I said, well, here's the first thing. We can't go any further with this. Do you remember this? We can't go any further with this until we, we take a step back. You, you, I know well enough. We knew them well enough. I said, I know well enough that that's not true. <laughs> we, we need to get to this point first. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not true. Your relationship is going to, your relationship, you've been together for several years, um, you care for each other, that is going to affect your decision. We need, we need to get to this point first. We want to move forward. Now, you want to make a good decision for your future and everything, but does your future in view involve this other person? Yeah, it did. Their plan was to get married, and eventually they did, and they're happy, and everything's great. But at the time, they weren't willing to, to admit that. They were trying to, to prove a point. And so the thing was, neither of those things were bad or good in and of themselves. You just, we just need to categorize them where they, where they went. Does that make sense? We need to find them, see where they go, and compare them of, of what the decision that we're going to make. So it, I think it worked. I think it went okay at the end of it. I don't know. I'm not like a professional counselor. But I just knew at the end of this, I was like, okay, you, stop saying that. She said it like uh, 12 times. Like, it's not affecting my decision. It's not affecting my decision. It's not affecting my decision. Why are you telling me that? I didn't say it was. And so finally, I was like, okay, if you're defending it this much, it certainly is. And so. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, ah, the flesh wound. All right. So, so the children can stay focused. All right. <laughs> Nothing. So, all right, so the question is, what, what makes us feel close to God? We, we know that there are different things that make us feel close to God, but the, a better question is, what makes us feel like we're not close to God? What is it that we think that keeps us from being close to God that we would need to come here to experience it? What do you think it is? Y'all can talk. 
I have the answer. Life? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it is a pretty deep question. All right, I'll give you the answer before, before, y'all, uh, before y'all go too far. Sin? Okay. Uh, yeah, sin is a... Uh, yeah, it's a derivative of the, of the answer. Life, yeah. Well, ultimately, it's the law. The law is what keeps us distant from God. Because the law is what is the accuser, is, is what, what tells us that we're not good enough. Um, I know it sounds bad because the law in and of itself is not bad. The law is good and just. It just doesn't have the power to make us good and just. So the law is what keeps us separate, is what keeps us, keeps us separate from God. Fig leaf, right? Don't, let me ch- don't make me chase that rabbit yet. I'm not, not ready for that. But that's a good point. Yeah, the, the law is what, is what keeps us separate from God. Grace is what draws us near to God. So when we understand what's actually going on, whether it's here or out there, there's no, and that's why we gotta, we've got to make sure that we understand that um, if, we're, if we're preaching a message or, or spreading a quote-unquote gospel that says you have to come here so that you can experience God, that is, I want to say this, oh, it is, it's anti-Christ. It's because it's saying that this building is what we're worshiping, or the system is what we're worshiping and not Christ. Now, that's not just this, it's anything else, too. Any other thing, you know, and we've talked about that before. It's any other thing. It's any other thing besides Christ is obviously anti-Christ. It's another way, just like the parable of the sheep and all that. Any other way is not Christ, and that's what keeps the, the whole separation thing. Now, we know uh, the Second Corinthians 3.3 3 says, you show that you are a letter from Christ that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, speaking of the law, but on tablets of human heart, speaking of grace and truth through Jesus. Verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the leather, not leather, not of the letter, bound in leather, (laughs) No, not of the letter, um, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the letter of the law, if followed all the way to its end, will lead to death unless you have a Savior. It does its job. Yes. Correct. It's the, it's the same thing we learned under Mark about uh, the, the law defining us, not, not guidelines. So, you know, the, you will begin to see the law played out in your life because you're living from Christ. So, yeah, it is, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a reverse, well, it's a, it's a reverse uh, reality to perception, not perception to reality. Does that make sense? So, it's the reality that we find ourselves in, and as we live out this reality, our perception shifts. So, it's the whole thing of Christ coming into our hearts. It never says, you know, it constantly talks about Christ coming into your heart, coming into your heart, coming into your heart, not in our minds being renewed, because we have to continually convince ourselves of what's already happened in Jesus. Does that make sense? So the reality is given to you free. It doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. It's unmerited. It's crazy. (laughs) And God says, you're my son, you're my daughter, boom, it's done. It's the only way. Yeah, this is the way. And so (laughs) he... So he gives this to us free. Boom. We have it. We have it, okay? Now what? 
Now it's this that's messed up. It's, uh, I like, uh, what's, uh, I can't think of his name. He calls it stinking thinking. It's our stinking thinking. Um, our, our thinking still relates to our old, our old selves, our dead body that we try to drag around. Our thinking is still related to that. And so we have to renew our mind to what's happened in our hearts. So our reality is new. Now our perception shifts and changes. Now, that happens here and it happens out there, not either or. It happens wherever you are because you have the Holy Spirit. So um, the same reason people want to go to church, feel closer uh, to God, is the same reason they don't go to church because they don't feel like they're close enough, right? Um, people will say, you know, I'd come to church, but, you know, lightning would strike or the ceiling might fall down or something. Why, why do they say that? Because they're basing it on their performance. Somehow we've, we've, we've put out that message, we collectively have put out a message that people think they can't come to, to find salvation at church. They're looking to find it in themselves before they ever get here. That's not the gospel. Uh, uh, something that perpetuates this, people say, well, God helps those that help themselves. I didn't find, yeah, it's nowhere in the Bible. Like cleanliness is next to godliness. I mean, be clean, but that's not in the Bible. So it's these, these terms we make up that we, we think are, for whatever reason, God helps those that know they can't help themselves. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much the opposite. It's pretty much the opposite of what the Bible says. So if somebody says that, slap. No, don't slap them. I'm just kidding. You want to disinfect your hand first and after. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So, uh, but seriously, wash your hands. All right. So, <laughs> um, if the measurement of closeness to God is meeting in a building once a week, we've missed the gospel. If that's what we measure it by, then we've missed the gospel. This is what I found um, when I was growing up in the South, and we would, we would go to churches, and it was the way we've always done things. Part of, part of the pitch was come to church, you know, do, come to church, do good, pay your tithes, Sunday, Wednesday, whatever it is, the, whatever formula it is, so that you can what? Get your ticket to go where? To heaven. That was the formula. Come to church, we have the answer, but the answer is really come to church <laughs> and do try harder, do better, like pull up your bootstraps, do better, try harder, um, and then you'll get to go to heaven. The alternative is you get to burn in hell. Hmm. <laughs> right? This was one of, the t- one of the times that we had to make a move with our kids. We would let them go to like tons of different vacation Bible schools because we were in the South and there was tons of them, and I was like, ah, we need more macaroni on our you know, glued to plates on our refrigerator. Um, so we would just send them all these. And th- but we found ourselves, Tracy helped with one, and she came, we had a discussion afterwards, and they were, very, and they were just very much drilling the kids about making a decision right then and that did they want to burn in hell or did they want to go to heaven? And I was like, we've got to pull them out. We need to have some discussions with them about what this really looks like, about who God really is. It's not, that's not how this, is, this works. Now, is there a hell? Yes. Is there a heaven? Yes. But that's not how God relates to us. God relates to us as fathers, I'm not as fathers, as sons and daughters because he is a father. And so he meets you right where you are. And now here's the thing. That can be in a place where you are are having these feelings. (laughs) We're all scared. We're all scared of that because feelings can lead us astray. Well, they can. I'm not saying they can't. But God is so gracious to meet you even in those areas when you feel, when you can feel his presence. Not saying it's not there when you don't, but there are those times when you may need that in your life, and he will meet you right there. Now, there may be times, because we're all different, and that's how relationships work, that intellectually you were trying to figure something out, and you can't get it, and he will meet you there too. 
He will, he will break it down for you and, and find you in a way that only you can relate to him and he can relate to you. That's how relationships work. That's how much he cares. It's not as black and white as this or this or this or this. It's relational. And it was funny. We had a discussion last night with some friends, and, and we were saying the same thing. When Mark, he was, <laughs> Mark taught that, it was one of the first things I completely disagreed with him about that I is completely agree with him about now is how paramount relationship is. And I remember raising my hand in the back like a jerk. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I don't think that's right. I don't think it is, you know, and I, and I made a dumb analogy back then, and I was a jerk, and Mark was gracious to, to kind of, you know, walk me through that so that I can understand it clear how paramount relationship really is. I mean, it's so true. I've seen it play out in lives so many times, and, and man, even some of the things that we talked about last night, because we've, I say we've collectively as a church, have made this such a weird ongoing transactional thing with God as though he is the Godfather, and we owe him and he owes us, we're constantly shuffling this back and forth. And uh, Brian mentioned it last night. We were talking about backgrounds. And I love hearing people's stories. Love it, love it, love it. It's one of the things I love about church in general and having you guys as a, as a church family. I love hearing your background, your stories, where you come from. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I share. I'm going to share it anyway. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but some of Brian's history was they, they, he, he went to a, a Christian school. He did like, and I'm not, I'll probably mess all this up, but he did all these outreaches, different things. Soul winning is what they called it. And he did all these soul winning things. And he said that they were supposed to knock on doors and ask people these series of questions that were very uncomfortable and go through this whole process. But he said, I never did that. I just knocked on the door and left the track, took off. Like. <laughs> but, and he, but he said the reason was they couldn't play basketball until they did that. That, that kind of culture we have to be very careful with. And I'm not trying to call out some like other churches or anything like that. But the mindset that says that we are trying to twist God's arm into doing something for us is a messed up, that's, that's messed up. That's not the culture that God has created for us to live in. He, he's, he's much better than that. He's much deeper than that. He's not that shallow. He's not waiting on you to, you know, hand out some tracks or make people feel uncomfortable in their homes while they're trying to watch Matlock or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know what I mean? Like... I've seen, so much, I've seen so much more transformation in people's lives through relationship than I have. Not to say that God can't use those two, and I'll, that's a little caveat. God's gracious. He saved most of us in a mixed message and a, a, big, a big mess. So he's, he's just good enough to find us right in the midst of all that. So I don't want to just throw all that out either. But we, as a church body, we have to see that God's not the, that's not God's character. There's too, there's too much more of who God is to, to narrow him down to something like that. It's ridiculous. Um, all right, so we don't measure it by whether we come to a church building or not. That doesn't devalue our weekly, meet, our weekly meetings. It should just clarify why we meet. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't meet. It doesn't mean that these aren't valuable. These are very valuable, and I'm glad that we do it. Um, like I said with the counseling story, we don't need to make the mistake that, or, or pretend like uh, that we don't have these feelings or that we don't uh, need other things in our lives other than... Uh, just meeting at church or not meeting at church. Um, but we need to submit our feelings to what is true about us, what God says is true about us, right? So when we have these feelings, they're not all bad, they're not all good. They're results of what we truly believe, right? So we need to find out what we truly believe, and God tells us pretty clearly, and, he, and I've got a few truths here. Um, so when we submit what we're feeling to God, the truth is that he is always with you. Hebrews tells us that he will never leave you or forsake you. So he's not hanging out here waiting for you to come back. <laughs> The truth is that you're holy and righteous because of Jesus. It's not because of what you did, but it's because of what he did that makes you holy and righteous. Now, you don't always feel that way, do you? 
You don't always feel holy and righteous. But that doesn't mean that you're not. John 16, 7 says, I'll tell you the truth. This is very important. <laughs> tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go. This is Jesus speaking. It's to your advantage that I go. For if I did not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, would not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, a lot of people take that and say, oh, God's going to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You got to keep reading. Verse 9, of sin, because they do not believe in me. Who is he convicting of sin? Non-believers. That's not you, right? We need to clarify. Verse 10, well, let's skip verse 10. Verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of the world? That's not you. Satan, right? Not you. Verse 10, of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Who's he going to his father for? You. What are you being convicted of? Righteousness. The believer is convicted of righteousness. The lost person is convicted of sin. Guess who does that convicting? He just told you. Who does the convicting? The helper, the Holy Spirit, not you. You have no place running around calling everybody else's sin out. Why? Because you got plenty right here to deal with on your own. Well, that God's already dealt with. But it's not, it's, not, it's not your job. It's the helper. It's his job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do that. It's God's job to pass judgment on the rule of the, of the world, which is Satan, and he's done that. That's a done deal. So now what's left for you to be convicted of? And what's convicted mean to be convinced of? Of righteousness. When you're convicted and you go to jail, you're, that's a conviction. That is the truth. That's what's going on. When you're convicted of righteousness, you're righteous. You are like imprisoned to righteousness. Whether you feel it or not, you're righteous because of Jesus. The truth is that you're loved and you're righteous and holy, and you may not feel that way all the time, but that's what the Holy Spirit convicts us of. It's his job. Yes? And that righteousness, the Lord convicting, of, convicting us of who we are, not who we are not. Right. He convicts us by telling us that, right, that we are righteous because of him. Right. He does not point out our unrighteousness, our right. sin. It's not about sin and not sin. It's about goodness and well, the goodness of the Lord. I, I would, ch- let me see how I say this. A life, it's kind of like staring at the ditches and never enjoying driving. <laughs> a life filled with focus on sin will be a sin-focused life <laughs> and a life that I don't want to live. A life focused on Jesus and his forgiveness will in and of itself lead you away from sin. It's super, super easy. This, the gospel is simple. We've complicated it. A life convicted of righteousness will by default offset sin because it's who you are, not what you do. So if you are righteous, you will begin to live up to a righteous life because your father's righteous and you've been given righteousness from him. It's like my kids. I want my kids to succeed in life. I want them to have the things that they need. I want them to know that they're loved regardless of their behavior. Will I correct their behavior? Yes, I'll correct their behavior. But it's not that I'm pointing out all of their faults. I'm preparing them for their future, not just punishing them for their past. It's the difference. Do you, do you see the difference? Do what? You certainly can add to that. Thankfully, it's your family that has a microphone, so he can share that with you, and we don't have to disinfect it. That's, that's comforting. Maybe. But also, like, when you're talking about being convicted of righteousness and, um, like, kind of as you learn in life with God, like, I just want to emphasize that that's totally a process and that you're not going to be convinced of your righteousness overnight, and you're also not going to have perfect theology and, like, really understand the heart of God all in one sitting sometimes. Like, well, for me, it was, it was, like, years of learning things along the way, and, this, and 
God has so much grace that he also worked through my bad theology and that he um, was able to equip me to love people and to, and even like when my friends and I, we weren't completely, we were still like understanding about the heart of God. We, over time, like we're learning better and better how to convey that. Um, and it's not like it's, there's, there's so much grace in all the things that we don't know and that God totally wants to show us. Was that Old Spice? <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, but it's a process in letting God walk with you on that as you learn. Like, well, it's, it's, the renew- it's okay that you don't know everything. That goes back to what we were talking about, the renewing of the mind. Yeah, definitely. It's hardware versus software. You computer guys get hardware and software, right? You get a new MacBook Pro, and it needs an update immediately. It's like, I just got this. It already needs an update, right? The hardware's there. The, the hardware's here. God has given you hardware. Your software needs updates constantly. You you've constantly be, need to be reminded, not just reminded, but convicted of righteousness ongoing. So even the, and I don't want to get into too deep into sanctification because there's lots of differences of opinion, but you've already been sanctified by Christ. Now, you still, you have ongoing sanctification up here to make, to, to software update, to align your perception with the reality, not the other way around. For too, for too long now, I will tell you this, what I heard a lot a lot of like televangelists and stuff like that. And I could give you a motivational speech and tell you, man, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. But I think that's a bit antichrist too because you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. <laughs> um, what Christ asked you to do is die and you can't do that. He, you know, he's already done that for you. And so there's this, there's a thing when, when Christ says take up your cross daily, it doesn't mean you need to crucify him daily or that you need to crucify yourself. When it says take up your cross daily, it means take up your holiness, righteousness, and everything that he bought and paid for you and carry it with you everywhere you go. So that when you see everything that's going on around you, you see it through that lens, through Christ's eyes, through, his, through the way that he sees things. Now, what that'll do is it'll change every relationship you've ever had. Why? Because now you're not looking at people's faults. You're, you're calling people up to who they truly are. You're seeing the same thing that God sees, which is himself and people. Do you see that perception change? You can't do that on your own because people are stupid and they get on your nerves. That's what I get amens on. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm, I'm jo- that was a joke, but I'm just saying, as humans, we get frustrated with people because we're, we're all flawed and we're limited in and of ourselves to be able to meet people's needs, right? So if you look to me to meet all your needs, I'm going to fail you pretty quick. I don't want to, but I will because I'm not perfect. But I know somebody who is. This is why as Christians... We take, when, when, we, when we find ourselves in a position where we have a relationship and people are holding on to us, we have to transition that and hand them to Jesus. Now, we're still there. It's not that we just abandon everybody and, hey, good luck with that, you know. Um, but it is that we make sure that they have their eyes on him. We're there together and we want to help that. But it, that you guys need to have your eyes on him more than anything else. Because... As much as we want to depend on people, and we, we are very social beings, and I'll tell you that for sure, because I didn't realize how much I've missed people until we, we weren't hanging out as much. Um, we are very social beings. We're created to be social from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was a whole group of them in the beginning, and they made a whole group of us. And so we're created to be around other people. So, yeah, I'm not gonna get, that's another rabbit trail. All right, I said I was going to try to make it quick. But Carol keeps talking. No, go ahead. What you got? Real quick, what you got? I know she, she, she's like, I've been gone too. I want, I got stuff to say. No, I'm just, uh, this, reflecting on this, when I was five years old, I was in a church 
uh, that um, I told my next door neighbor, I think was about 60 years old, that she was going to hell because she smoked. That was when <laughs> I was five. Nice. Five years old. I was an evangelist. Knocking on doors. No. But <laughs> yesterday, I had a dear friend over, and she is addicted to nicotine. She wants to be free. But I was interested in my emotional response, which there was no emotional response. That was just, go ahead, sweetie. I mean, there was nothing in me. And that is because of the grace message that the Lord loves her with a cigarette in her mouth. Right. You know? Yeah. He does not see any wrong in her. Right. He loves her. And I do, too. Right. That's awesome. And that's quite a contrast. Yeah, it is quite a contrast from, from five-year-old trying to shortcut the Holy Spirit. What were you thinking? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was five, Justin. Dang. <laughs> All right. Um, man, I've got, I think I'm just going to skip what I was going to talk about, this one part. Well, I'll, I'll talk about this next week. Um, maybe. We'll see. No, let's talk about it real quick. Are, is everybody good? Are the kids good? All right. I missed you guys. I'm not going to keep you all day, but I will. I, I do want to talk about this because I think it's really good. It's saving up. <laughs> yeah. Luke 17, 11, um, it's talking about Jesus healing the 10 men, men with leprosy. Many of you guys know the story. Um, but he's like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> now, uh, Jesus says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Now, to preface this a little bit, when you had leprosy, you weren't around everyone else, right? You were not socially accepted, especially in this environment, um, many believe that you were cursed either by your parents or by somebody else. You had done something wrong or your parents had done something wrong. For whatever reason, you were bad and you need to stay away from everybody else. And so you were, you felt shame, you felt guilt, you were isolated from everybody. There was a lot that went along with this. On top of that, noses were falling off and arms, you know, like it was all the skin. I mean, there was a lot going on with leprosy. When we say leprosy, we just kind of breeze through it. It was bad. And so there's all this bad stuff, and they're in this a completely different area. They can't be near anybody. There's all this stuff going on. Um, and so Jesus going to a village, verse 12, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance because they couldn't get close to people and called out in a loud voice. So they're screaming, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're screaming it to him. And what they're, what they're essentially saying is, heal us. We've heard that you heal, so heal us. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And now, we need to stop there because I've said this a lot of times and just blown through it too. What, what you would do back then if you did get better from leprosy, you went and showed yourself to the priest and he said, okay, you're good and now you're socially acceptable again. You take the shame off, you take all the guilt off, you're not cursed anymore, you can go hang out with your friends. Meemaw Ivy said you could, you could hang out but you can't spend the night. No, I'm just kidding. No, no social distancing, so uh, I'm not preaching a message about that. Sorry, I'm just joking. But So basically, you would go to the priest and he would say, you're okay, right? That was part of the law, kind of the whole Levitical, everything. You're clean, you're clean, you can go and be around people again. But that came with being socially accepted, being not shamed, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot that goes along with this, a lot deeper than, than just being physically healed, okay? Now the word here says, as he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now it's odd for him to say that because they hadn't been healed yet, right? Go show yourself to the priest. And they're like, okay, maybe probably heal us first, because <laughs> it's not going to do any good. He's going to say, you're not clean, and we're not going to be accepted anyway. But they go. So as they go, they're cleansed. And the word here in the Greek is, and I'll probably mispronounce it because I ain't Greek, uh, kath katharizo. 
Basically means, huh? Oh, thank you. Basically means healed physically, cleaned according to the law, or that you were, you were healed, okay? That's what that means. That's all that means. It's physically healing, okay? Verse 15, one of them, when he saw, as they're on their way, he looks down, I guess he grew a nose or something. <laughs> He's like, blah, um, and he was healed, and so he recognized it. I don't know if that's what happened. So he recognized it, and he turned around immediately and goes back to Jesus, right? Why? Why would he do that? He recognized huh, What? He was excited. Yeah, that was one thing. Um, so he was excited because he was healed. Um, so he saw that he was healed. He came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. This reminds me of the, the, the sinful woman from the previous story we talked about. Throws himself at his feet and thanks him. And it says, very important part here, he was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. We know that, right? They hated each other. They, the Jews thought the Samaritans were a half-breed, not good enough, that they, were, were, they just hated them. They hated each other. And the Samaritan comes back to a Jew and just worships him and loves him and says, thank you so much for my healing. And he recognizes what has happened. He recognizes Jesus. He sees something that the other nine don't see. Okay? And Jesus asks, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Man, there's so much there. There's so much there because God's chosen people, he wanted them to see too. And they had gotten so caught up in the law that they missed the very thing the law was writing about. The very thing that could bring them closer to God. They were trying to do on their own through the law and they were going to see this priest because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what is accepted. And this Samaritan comes back and falls at the knees, falls to his knees and worships Jesus. In verse 19, he says, Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. And what it says here um, is another word, and it's sozo. Many of you know what sozo means? It means saved, healed, and delivered. It means made whole. It's much bigger than just being physically healed. So something has happened to this one person that didn't happen to the other nine. We have to catch this. The other nine were physically healed. This also reminds me of uh, uh, when, 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 when we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all these things? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Knew is an intimate term there. The Samaritan saw Jesus for who he was, and he sought to know him and for, for God to know, for Jesus to know him. So when, when you have that kind of intimate meeting, when you recognize Jesus for who he is and he meets you right where you are, and you were sozo, you were saved, healed, and delivered all in one shot, your life has changed, not just one aspect of it. It's much deeper. It's a deeper thing. Your soul has changed. You are different. And so that's what happens to this one guy who is, is not caught up in the law and not trying to, to appeal to man or to other things. He simply sees Jesus for who he is and accepts him for who he is, and his faith is in him. And we have to recognize that it's not the amount of faith that we have, but it's where we place it. See, what I see in this story is the other nine men had some faith in Jesus, but they also were, were kind of hanging on to the old, the old covenant, the old Jewish law. They were going back to the priest. We need to be, yeah, thanks, Jesus, but we also need to be clean so that we can be around all the, you know, when Jesus does all that in one shot, but he didn't have to go through all those other avenues. Jesus can do that all because he is the son of God. He says, I only do what I see my father do because I'm his son. I only say what I hear him say. I carry the power to do these things, and you need me. There is no other way. Faith in the law may lead to a temporary satisfaction. Many of you have probably experienced this in religion. There have been times when I thought that I really did it, when I 
had gotten saved again and confessed again and been to the altar and cried enough and, and gone through the things or, you know, like we were talking about, Brian witnessed enough or went soul winning enough where I thought, man, I'm doing good, doing real good. And then I'd mess up and I'd feel so distant from God. That's not God's heart. Self-righteousness is just as dangerous as just going and falling into sin. It's just as dangerous because you're leaning on something that's not him. His word tells us he fills all things in every way. So if you start trying to fill that stuff on your own, whether it's through sin, which, by the way, is just a shortcut to give you, to, to, to substitute the desires that God really has for you already. The same way self-righteousness does the same thing when you try to shortcut the Holy Spirit and say, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. We do. <laughs> I know that it can be frustrating because it's frustrating to me sometimes to give such a simple message. <laughs> and I know that uh, some of you guys are, sometimes will say, you know, Pastor Justin, just give me some steps <laughs> that I can take to feel closer to God or to do better, to, to have a better life. And I just, I just can't. <laughs> I only know one step. There's just one step that I know, and it's Jesus. There are no other steps. There are lots of things that can enrich your life, and there are lots of other things that can help you, that I could give you some practical wisdom. I mean, there's, there's lots and lots of other things that we could talk about, but ultimately, ultimately those in and of themselves will not change your life. Only Jesus will. And in order to get to that place, you have to die. You have to give up. It says, in our weakness, he's made strong. And listen, <laughs> buddy thought that was funny. And in our weakness, we're made strong. So when we find ourselves in places where we go, there's no way that I could measure up to this, is when God steps in and says, I know, and you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make something glorious come out of this. Beauty from ashes. I see your hurt. I see your brokenness. I see your pain. I see that you feel like you were unworthy, but I call you worthy. I call you son, and I call you daughter, and I see, you, I see me in you. So your worth is found in God, not in being accepted by others, not in finding your place anywhere else other than him, not in soul winning or, or driving a bus or doing all these activities. Those things should be results and thanksgiving from God. So when we come into this place and we meet every week, we live from that place. So we let go of our life. The Bible says, let go of your life to find it. Yeah, Shane? What happened to Carolyn and I back in 2009? You know, I mean, I was, I was at a point where I did give up. I gave it all to him. I remember the exact moment that it happened. And then he... he put blessings upon our family that I could have never imagined with, you know, employment at the plant and everything like that. And then you fast forward to this with everything that we're dealing with now, and you'd be surprised how many times I have been able to not only share my testimony, but pray for people and, you know, tell people that, hey, you know, look to him, it'll be all right. Because I have experience in this, and I can tell you right now that I couldn't, but he could. Yeah. Even, even at the plant, I mean, we're, we're on reduced hours. We're 
you know, there's a bunch of voluntary furloughs and nobody knows when we're going to start getting back to full production and everything. There's all kinds of these young kids, you know, that have been hired out there, only been there for a couple of years. And with me being one of the older guys out there, they're like, what am I going to do? I just got this job. I just finally started getting back on my feet. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. This place isn't going anywhere. This is a, this is a hiccup. You know, look to God just like I did. And I'm able to share, to share, share with them what happened to, to Carolyn and I back in 2009. Right. And we have, I've, I've, I've had a lot of really deep conversations with some 20-somethings that have been absolutely scared about what's going on right now. And I, I hope that I've been able to help them. Well, the, but the, it's just... the beautiful thing about that too, Shane, is, and we even talked about this this morning, about it, the experiences that we have. <clears throat> we can argue theology and understanding why the things happened that happened. But when God, when God supernaturally intervenes into your life, that, uh, that bell cannot be unrung. <laughs> That experience is, is, is such a reality to you that when you encourage someone else, when you encourage someone else, it's not just an idea from afar. It's something that you've witnessed and experienced in your life personally, and that can't be taken from you. I mean, I hope I've been able to help some of these kids because they, you know, a lot of times, the first few times I've had these conversations, they're like, yeah, but you're one of the most senior people in the department. You're not going to be, you wouldn't be scared to losing your job anyway. And I tell them, no, I'm not scared about me losing my job, but I'm worried about you because you're worried about it and you're a good kid and you've got your whole, your whole life in front of you and I don't want to see this, you know, turn you upside down the way it's doing. And so, you know, I just tell them, don't lean on me, don't lean on the company, lean on God, because I promise you, one way or the other, it's going to be okay. I, I've got full experience in that. And Shane, I don't know if you remember, but I remember having those conversations with you, even out in front of this church, when, when back when you were landscaping, before all of this happened, and when everything was falling apart, I remember having those conversations and crying and praying with you. Oh, dude, I was, I was, I was a basket case. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and I'll tell you from experience, too, as a man, because I are one, um, I are too. It's, diff <laughs> it's difficult sometimes, especially for men who try, um, not to say that women don't do this either, but I know just because I are one. For, for me personally, sometimes it's hard to say that I need help, right? Like, it's hard for me to accept that I can't figure this out and fix it because that's what I usually want to do. I just want to fix things. And so there are those areas, especially for me, that I've got to take a step back and realize that I can't do all this on my own. I can't, I can't fix everything. I've got to lean on the one that can. I've got to realize that God's going to be the one that's going to take us through this. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't participate, just like we said. We have work. I mean, the, the only work that we have to do is believe in Him, but the works that we do now on this earth come from that place, not going towards it. We're not coming to this building every Sunday out of fear and obligation that God's going to be mad at us. We come to this building to celebrate everything that He's done for us, just as we're doing now in Thanksgiving, and we'll shout from the rooftops of who God is, and that everyone else needs to run to Him just like this guy did, just like Shane did, just like all of you did. We need to run to Jesus and worship Him for it. I don't come to this church because I feel like I have to. I come to this church because I want to, because of the relationships that I have in this, in this room. Exactly. I, you know, this church has taught me so much and has been here for me in so many ways that I can't even begin to explain. I want to be in this room. I want to sit there and watch Ju and you know hug Julius, even though I can't because of social distancing. And I want to, and I want to be able, and I want to, I, I, I want to be there for, I want to be there for uh, uh, the guy that just said something, the guy with the long hair. <laughs> um, 
Bill. I want to be there for Bill. I want to. I want to. I want. I want to be there for them, and I want to. I want to experience and rejoice in what Bill and Renee have 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 together over right. the last several years. I want to. I want to sit here and just burst with pride with Chris and Alicia. Yeah. I want to pray for Jonathan. Amen. I mean, I, I want to be there for you, and, and you, and you as well for me in the times that we've been. I'm right. sorry, Patrick, not Jonathan. <laughs> Whatever his I, name know, is. I want to be there for you know you and I because of the relationship we have. That's what I come here for is to is for the relationships, and then with your with your sermons, I'm always looking for the next thing I can learn. I come in. I come in here for almost like a classroom, like I'm in college, because it's something that I want to learn more and more and more about. And I come in here to try and find those two or three or four, or however many tidbits of information that I can learn from and put out into my my daily life out there. You know, I I, I don't need to come in here because I know God's got me and I've got Him out there. I come in here for the relationships and for the learning opportunity. Here we go. <laughs> I already got I already got the runner. All right, so uh anyway. Whoop. The foamy thing. It's lost in my there it is. <laughs> it fell out. All right. So um I was about to say something, I got distracted. Oh yeah, when I first got saved. Um I remember after like trying to figure out, I always thought and we had this conversation last night too. I, um I always thought there was something wrong with me. I would go to lots of different churches and I was thinking there's gotta be something wrong with me because these guys have it all together. And I, I know something happened to me, but something doesn't fit. And all it was was the performance-based religion that just kept rearing its ugly head in the midst of the goodness of God and the, and the relationship and the life that God gave. And at the, I'd get enamored with that, and I'd just get punched in the gut with self-righteousness and religion and, and all that kind of stuff. And for me, because I was so young in the faith and not understanding, I mean, I didn't really fully grip how all this worked. Um, and so I just remember... Uh, being frustrated at that until, uh, honestly, when I when I came and Mark began to speak from his heart about sonship and understanding all these things with the kingdom and grace, um, to really realize that I was a son. Like, that's what I needed to hear. There was lots of other things that I heard that were good information, but they weren't necessarily good news, right? There are lots of things that I could tell you that are good information, but there's only one thing that I can tell you that is the good news, and that you have been adopted as a son or daughter into God's family. Ultimately, that's the good news, that we kind of screwed up in the beginning, <laughs> the whole fig leaf thing, <laughs> and God redeemed us through Jesus, and now we can have a relationship with Him again. It's the ultimate best trade-up you could ever have, and that's the good news. Now, lots of other things can come from that, but nothing else can get you there except for Jesus. So, when, like I said, when we come, the whole why do we come to church thing, we come here to celebrate. We come here to give thanksgiving, to worship. We come here like, like the woman that you know, broke her alabaster bar. We come here like the, the guy that needed healing. We come here just because we recognize who Jesus is, and we want to celebrate that with thanksgiving together. But not just here, but everywhere else when you leave this place. It's just cool to be able to hang out with you guys and do it. So that's all I got. All right. Yeah. I did all right. Not too long. Good to be home. It is good to be home. Home is where the peoples are. All right. All right. Anybody else have anything? I don't know if we only have one mic, so. Um, yeah. Well, you're my mom. You're family, so I guess you can talk to the mic. Your grandpa. My grandpa. I spent two weeks with him. I spent two weeks with grandpa, 
And just like that gentleman back here was talking about the young man fearing losing a job, your grandpa is fearful of death. And he was very difficult. He cussed, he yelled, he fussed. I shared the Lord with him, but without the grace of God, without the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have been able to stay two weeks. So you carry him with you everywhere. And I believe that when I see that fear, it's so sad. And I just have to share that. So, what I, since you said that, what I was hearing, uh, especially during worship, was um, death, where is your sting? <laughs> because um, when, when you find yourself either close to or, or around anyone that is dying or death is, is near, physical death, um, I always go back to when Jesus wept because I believe it wasn't just because it was his friend. I believe that in that moment, Jesus wept because he knew that the Father's heart was not for us to even experience death because death, first and foremost, represented a separation. And so I think that's the opposite of God's heart is to be separate from us. So I believe anytime when death begins to create fear or anxiety, I go back to that because it's not God's heart that's why we have eternal life. We get to experience it now, and it's abundant, and we get to experience it when we change zip codes and we go on to be with him forever. So there's, not a, there's no more fear in death. Paul says to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Um, it doesn't mean that we're not sad when we lose loved ones. Like I said, these, we're, not, we're not dismissing anything about this. We want to be safe and love our neighbors, but at the same time, we do not need to be fearful. There's, this, there's no fear in death. Death is just a transition for the believer. Um, doesn't mean we're running around looking for it same time but I pray for you guys and I hope that you don't have um, a, a anxiety about this or fear from this because it's not God's heart um, you're, you're not defined by your circumstances you're defined by the truth of what God says about you not about what's going on around you so carry that and you change your circumstances don't be affected don't be as affected by them as they'll be affected by you all right stand up with me I'll pray for you <clears throat> Father, I thank you that um, you are good. I thank you that you, you bring us into this relationship and you do all the work. <laughs> I know, me too. I'm having trouble with the connection. The prayers of a righteous man, man availeth much. <laughs> and Lord, you are righteous. So, uh, so Father, we just, we, we pray that, uh, oh man, Siri, you, you got me tripping. Lord, we just pray that, um, you pray that you take that fear away from us. I pray that as we, we are mindful of those that are around us and we care and we love, we love those that are around us, we don't carry fear with it. We just, we are, we are thoughtful and we are mindful of those that are around us and we make the best decisions possible. And Lord, that we have grace for those that are around us that may not even agree with us. Oh, it's one of the most uh, de deteriorating things to a relationship is when, uh, when there's a disagreement and we turn that into an offense and then we take it and, and we keep it. <laughs> Lord, I pray that we would throw those offenses away. Lord, that we would be unoffendable in you. Um, because you've created us to be forgiving and loving. And so as we go out into the, into the world, um, whether we, we wear the masks on our chin or on our face or none at all, Lord, that we would be thoughtful of others and that we would um, carry, that we would recognize that we carry you everywhere we go, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.